Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Adam Tandez. We're here with another episode of the All Day Everyday Hoops podcast. Before we get started with our guest today, I just wanted to plug a couple things. First is the Be Contagious Leadership Experience by Hernando Planels. Hernando Planels was a college basketball coach, leadership entrepreneur, former sports film choreographer. Everyone is trying to get better when leading their team, employees, and themselves. The BCLE gives people an inside view on leadership from the coaches and thought leaders perspective. Be great, be the light, and be contagious. Find out more at www.hernandoplanels.com. He's currently in season two of his podcast. Got to make sure you listen to those and subscribe. Also, coaches of women's and girls basketball, the WBCA is your community. Since 1981, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association has been there advocating for our sport and supporting coaches at every level. They have amazing in-person educational opportunities like the WBCA convention, which is held in conjunction with the NCAA Women's Final Four and regional coaches classroom clinics. They have e-learning through their monthly webinar series, as well as over 700 videos, plays, and drills on their website, wbca.org. Along with information, they're the place you go to expand your network. The Coach to Coach Mentoring Program connects members throughout the season, and their in-person Mentoring Madness sessions put you next to other experienced head and assistant coaches that can give you instant feedback and help you meet whatever challenges you might be facing. The WBCA is there to give you all the tools you need to be your best. Learn more today at www.wbca.org and become a part of this premier coaching association. All right, folks, hope you enjoy our next guest. I most certainly did. Please make sure you log on to iTunes, like and subscribe to our podcast and also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Where we've got both these interviews as well as different drills and different uh, other videos that we put up periodically. All right, enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? This is Adam Tandez with the All Day Every Day Hoops podcast. It is a pleasure today to have um, one of my great friends. You know, we we're just talking, I've known him for nine, 10 years now. Uh, the head coach, the all time winningest head coach in Loris College women's basketball history, Dustin Heisen. Dustin, how are you doing today? Good, Adam. Pleasure to be on. I appreciate it give this a go and see what see what happens hopefully we can give something to the group yeah absolutely absolutely well this is people don't need to know this but this is a round two you know i i uh, fumbled that the last time <laughs> um but you know I, I know your time is valuable and you've got some other stuff going on today so we're going to jump right into it first of all congratulations um on your incredible season that unfortunately was cut short you guys were 25 and 4 you had a couple all-americans uh, some people in different, multiple All-American honors and different publications. You know, it sounds silly, but my first question is, what what went right this year to you guys for you guys to be in the position you're in and closing in on a potential uh, Elite Eight opportunity? You know, what, tell me about this team and what you guys did well. Yeah, we um, 
Well, we, we came together um, really, really well. We, I think we progressed tremendously well throughout the course of the year, but the biggest thing was we, we, we returned a ton from the year before and uh, got bounced in the first round of the tournament, but had really good experience. Um, and talent-wise, one through five on the floor, we were, we were really, really good, but we just needed that experience. And not that we needed to lose that game last year uh, to DePaul in the first round of the tournament. We got smacked, but uh, it was a good um, test for us. It was really good experience for us. And I think when you, when you mold the experience and the talent together, that's, that's what this team found out uh, was really beneficial. And um, I think that was the biggest thing, just the experience of the stage we were on, um, the high-level games night in and night out that we challenged ourselves with. And it was funny because we met with them in the preseason to go over what they want from our schedule. And they all wanted, you know, they wanted to play nine top 25 games uh, and go get it from the get-go. Um, and they did that. And they met every challenge. And that was a fun ride for sure. Awesome. So when you guys lose to DePaul and you're setting up for that postseason and into the summer, what are some of the things, you know, obviously I, I – I trust, you know, the way you run your teams that they were probably motivated and chopped at the bit to get after it. What are some of the things you put in place going into the off season? And for those who don't know, division three, obviously you're not with them at all. What are some of the things you guys put in place uh, to kind of put yourself, put the best foot forward for this season? Yeah. And to answer that question, I think it goes back a couple of years because the year before, Last, we lost seven seniors, and uh, nobody really expected Lars to be great. Uh, and we had a great run that year with, uh, I forget, our, our 22 and six maybe, or 24 and six or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and nobody expected that, uh, but we put a ton of time into our identity and our culture way more than our basketball. I mean, we were still practicing the normal amount, but we spent a lot more time on I guess our chemistry and our, our togetherness. Um, and so then last year's team seeing the result of that knew that if we combined and kept that rolling the way we had um, with the talent we had returning, I thought, I think everybody expected uh, to be in a really good place and, and they were and credit to them though. You still got to show up every day and um, do the work, but it, it started with culture from two years ago. Um, and then, and then, you know, take that on to getting smoked in the first round one year ago, like all those things really added up in, in a big way for us and just learning environments. You know, we, we ended the DePaul game saying we just, we got to close the gap. And I think that was enough motivation for the off season. Like we, everybody knew what we had coming back, the pieces we had, the chemistry we had, the culture we had, and it was just close the gap from basketball. And then. And they did that. So obviously when you say that, when you said the basketball, obviously you're still, I'm sure, maxing out your 20 hours that the NCAA gives us. What then are you guys doing or making concerted efforts in to improve, as you said, chemistry and togetherness? Let's start there. Yeah. So um, one of the great things we've done, um, and none of this I've we've ever made up, it's all stolen from other people, right? Um, but in the preseason, we I've let stole, them I've lead. stolen a lot from you, so yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in the preseason, we let them lead um, 
what we call Mental Health Mondays. And uh, it's just a way for our team to grow and get closer together in a really, really vulnerable state. Um, and co coaches aren't even involved in that. It's just player-led. Uh, but that's where the team has to grow the most. Um, it's just their bond with each other. So we let them do the preseason. We, we organize like a theme. Um, but they do all of the presentations. It's, it's from Davos Sweeney's safe seat, it's called. Um, and we put everybody on the safe seat, or, or they do, and really get down to like who I am, what motivates me, and maybe one or two th things along the way that have inspired my journey or inspired me or shaped me into the person I am. Um, and I don't, I, I don't sit in on those meetings and nor does any of my staff, but in just hearing reports and we don't get a ton of them, but I mean, there's tears 24 seven and people getting real with each other. But um, what comes out of it is a willingness to fight for each other a little bit more because you know what your teammates are going through or have been through or, you know, why they operate the way they do. Um, so now they have their why. Right. And everybody wants, you, you know, you want people to have your back and to fight for each other. But if you have your why, you can take that a little bit further. So that's been great for us. And then just continuing to cultivate that once season starts and not just having it be a one and done thing is super important. So making sure that our mental health Mondays are still on track uh, and we're still doing some of that stuff in season to keep on growing as a group um, and being vulnerable with each other in it, too. Like. All of us are human. We're all going to screw it up at some point. Expecting that, um, in a way, and and being real with each other that way. So that's been huge for us, uh, just in terms of the off the floor stuff and understanding our why. Okay, no, I love it. Just educate me a little bit more. We've talked about this in the past, but so the safe seat method that you're saying Clemson football uses, kind of. I know you're not. I know you're not sitting in in there, but what is that really? So kids are literally going up like in the front of a, a, the team room or the locker room and, and kind of just saying whatever they want. What is, what's the, the forum? What's the environment like for that? Yeah. So um, one of our seniors a couple of years ago went to the, one of the inclusion forums for the NCAA and brought back a list of like conversation starters for that kind of setting. Mm -hmm. um, and then it sort of branched out from there. Um, and a lot of it has to do with like simple, small stuff early on, like family life. Tell me about your family life and defining moments you've had there. Uh, tell me about your heroes. And um, if you have somebody you play for, who is that? And then it gets into some mental health things or it gets into some um, just challenges people have. And it's not geared at, all right, let's break people down. Um, but it's more geared to, let's grow and um, so it's we go six different weeks six different themes they pick the themes um, mm -hmm. I only knew two of the weeks here uh, as far as like what the programming was um, our upperclassmen like lead it in a way where it's like they're usually the first ones to go because it's often harder as an underclassman just to jump right in right and there's a little waiting game for them to jump in but um, they pick the themes every year on what's going to be important to them, uh, things that are on the radar, and, and they they really run with it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. I, I kind of want to go even a little bit further with this. Like you, you've mentioned just the past couple of years, and obviously the strength um, 
in these past couple seasons and, and what the DePaul loss did for you. But obviously you've been there, you know, this was your 13th season and, you know, you've, you've won the league, you know, what was it? 13, 14, you know, you going way back, you've had good teams. So kind of what have you been able to piece together as a coach that has carried over, you know, what are some of those things? And I'd love to get into what are some of the things that maybe you were hoping would stick when you first got there culturally and in terms of togetherness, then, but then maybe hasn't and what you've learned from kind of the, the forks in the road with those things. Yeah, this is the, I mean, it's a journey for sure. Um, I don't know if we've arrived at that at all, but, um, so we started my first year in 2007 um, and we had eight players on the team and really had just to find a way to try to compete. And it wasn't broke. Like uh, we had really, really talented pieces in that first year's group and um, competed and like we needed to get deeper. We needed to um, get better as a basketball program. So that first couple of years was just recruiting that um, just to stabilize a little bit. And then uh, going into, so in 13, 14, we won our first championship. Um, four years before that we shifted because we had stabilized the program a little bit. So in nine, 10, our recruiting process was let's just get people now instead of players. And we focused a lot on that. Um, players are, you know, the skill set's important, but we, we made sure we had the right people. And it was kind of a blind faith in where we were going that we didn't know was going to pay off the way it did um, until we won the championship that year. And I, I remember vividly the locker room uh, at the NCAA tournament. We, we were super injured that year, got healthy midseason and then ran the table. Um, but our overall resume, because of because of that, wasn't great. Um, I think we were 19 and nine. We lost seven games out of the gates, uh, and then got healthy and were really, really good. And uh, so we were the slaughtered lamb in the tournament. We played the number one seed, St. Thomas, and um, actually had them beat and should have won. Uh, lost in a three-point game at their place, and it kind of validated what we were doing, um, that it was working, and kind of look around the locker room at the end of that game saying, um, this is this is going to go somewhere. Uh, and this is just the foundation of where it was going. But to to be that first team and to trust that process right. of culture building was huge. Uh, and then it's only taken off since. We've done, I don't know, way less than X's and O's. And that was my first thought going in in 2007 was like, I'm going gonna, gonna to have all the plays we need to win. Uh, and it's – as anybody knows, it's not that at all. So we focused heavily on culture, heavily on growing it every year uh, and what that means. And that's just where the foundation was laid and how it's taken off since then. But our, our mindset shift because of that group in 13-14. Right, right. So then, you know, you, you touched on it, how you changed from recruiting talent to recruiting people. And obviously we've talked about that. Actually, if there's, if there's one thing I think that you've influenced my career on the most is definitely recruiting. You know, but the, the, your different ideas, how I know you connect with people so well um, and you recruit so well. How important is that in terms of now year 13, you finding the right fit 
for your beliefs and what you want your program to look like? How important is it from the recruiting standpoint? Yeah, it's everything. Um, but our program makes it a little bit easier because we don't, we're probably the last program in the country to put in an offense, which we usually do in week two of practice. It's like we, we're really, really intentional about making sure uh, our offense fits who we are, uh, mm-hmm. which changes every year. Even when we have massive amounts of people coming back on rosters, um, it still changes. So even this year, coming off an NCAA tournament bid and one of the best years ever in Laura's history two years ago, um, we changed it all because our team is different. Um, so from that end in recruiting, it, it, it takes the shift away from we need a player that looks like this and a player that looks like that and fits our system into coaches got to fit the system and find the system that works for whoever we have. Um, that's been great for us. And I don't know. I don't think we're a slow starting team either because of it. I just think we we try to play to our strengths as much as we can, whatever that looks like. And we've had years where we played three point guards at the same time. And we've had years where we played three posts at the same time because that's, that's what gave us the best shot. Um, so we're a little bit probably outside the box on that thinking, which allows us then to shape recruiting into, you know, we don't need this type of player. We need this type of person, and that's why we focus in recruiting a ton. But they can look, however, they can look any different way. And as long as we're going to get better with recruiting, it doesn't matter what that looks like. Right, right. I love that. I love it. So do you, as, as you've kind of tinkered with and tweaked your system, are there like, do you have like a certain checklist when it comes to even personality traits or – you know, kind of the adversity you hope that they've gone through or, you know, for instance, I was listening to something that, that Buzz Williams and John Gordon were talking, right? And, and Coach Buzz Williams talks about how he wants to see the kid he's recruiting in a tough conversation with him while their parents are around because he wants to see if mom or dad or grandma or uncle are going to kind of influence or try to take over the coaching or kind of coddle the kid. So, I mean, just, I mean, that's a, that's a random comparison, but are there anything like that, that you hold, you know, that you're willing to share that you hold of importance to you when you're, yeah. when you're recruiting a kid? Yeah. Um, how they respond to adversity is one thing, right. And you can ask them and, um, but you, you gotta ask people around them too, because they know, you know, and rightfully so. I think you get a, a recruit on the phone early in the process and they're a little bit scared and this is how it goes and this is what I'm supposed to say. And everybody's got the same answers until you really start to break them down, which might not be for a little bit, right? Right. Um, so before you get that invested, you got to know who they are. So we've honestly, we've called hairstylists and pastors um, on like who these kids are. Um, Serious hairstylist? You're being serious? You call it hairstylist. They know hairstylists know everything, man. You will get all sorts of gossip from hairstylists, right? That's all they do is talk. That's right. You're right. You're right. right. Uh, Um it's not common, but we've done it. And uh, you know, it's not the it's not always the cookie cutter questions, too. It's like what have these kids done and been through? Uh, how do they treat each other? How do they treat their parents, their teammates, their brothers and sisters, uh, their coaches? 
is a big one too. And, uh, you know, what other coaches in the conference say about them and stuff like that. So before we even get on the phone with a kid, it's, it's, uh, it's a process of investigation in a way, not yeah. to like check them off, but make sure they're right for us. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, that makes sense. I mean, obviously I think like talking to guidance counselors, athletic directors, coaches, AAU coaches, yeah, you're trying to paint the picture, right? So I believe that. But I've never heard of hairstylists before. Again, another, you're teaching me again <laughs> today. More education. Try it me. out one time. Try it out. So <laughs> I could only, I could only, you could imagine, imagine me sitting there asking for their hairstylist phone number, like sitting there in the conversation. Uh, all right, that's, that's, that's different. That's great. Um, that's too good. Uh, what, what happens though, you know, this now just out of, using this as a tangent, just out of curiosity, what if there really is uh, someone's game that you really have fallen in love with how they play and you could see how you would use them? Because you might do the least in terms of X's and O's, but I know your mind. You're still, the X's and O's is still a part of who you are and what you're trying to implement. So yeah, let's say you fall in love with a kid's game, but they're on the cusp of, the personality or the cultural type kid that you want, will you opt for the kid who's way more uh, elevated in the culture department and maybe way less in the game department if it came down to those two kids? How do, how do you handle that controversy in your mind? Yeah, then it's like everybody's going to bring, and I do, I bring tons of flaws to our program. Um, so everybody's going to bring baggage. It's just a matter of like, can the culture wait, like carry it right. um, instead of vice versa, right? Because uh, you want to take a step back because of a player, um, but can the culture like bring them along? Um, and totally, like totally, nobody's going to be perfect about it. Um, and I screwed up more than anybody on our team, but um can the culture carry them? So yeah, we, it's not like make or break. Um, a lot of those conversations in my head do happen. Like, can our culture help them along or develop them further? Or is it something that we can't overlook? Right. Okay. That makes sense. Who, you know, 13 years as a head coach. So it's been a minute since I know you're a lifelong learner and stuff like that, but it's still been a minute where you haven't necessarily had to be in a supportive role. You've been at the front of the table. You've been a leader. So what what are the things that even from your earliest days you can remember influenced your thoughts and beliefs on your culture and the type of program you wanted to have when you were going to be given that opportunity to be a head coach? Yeah, well, I I got lucky early, um, as do most, you know, it's not an uncommon story, but um just how I started April Arvin was the head coach at Lakeland in division three Sheboygan Wisconsin which was near my house and um after college I ended up getting real sick and had to kind of derail all my plans for what was coming career-wise and um long story short uh, she took me aboard and taught me so much in two years and it was honestly a godsend of like magnifying proportions because I, I had no idea um, and, you know, she had MS at the time, which was really bad. And it was before all the MS treatments started to really kick in and, like, advance. Um, so there'd be, there'd be 
days of games where she'd be on IVs and um, you feel bad for her, but she delegated so well and gave us awesome experiences and like little did I know prepared me in a huge way for what was coming. Um, so I got totally lucky um, working for free for a couple of years, but learned a ton from her. She did, she was the best culture person I've ever been around. I mean, the way that number 19 celebrated on the team that year was, and she did it one through 19. Um, so I learned a lot from her without even knowing probably. And that's kind of where it all started. And then um, you mentioned Buzz, and I'm not tight with Buzz, but I, I love the guy uh, and what he does and like his, his scope of it all. Um, mm -hmm. And just obsession over leadership. Um, and growing and learning and I, i've taken a lot from that mindset as well nice are there any like books that you'd point someone who maybe catches this or listens to this that you know books or something online any learning huh. document that you're like hey you got to check this out you know um what i'm reading now is um it's a book by john mark comer it's called the ruthless elimination of hurry um, the best yeah, I've ever written. Yeah, the best I've ever read. Um, and it just takes a step back and like the go, go, go culture and the badges of honor that we try to wear sometimes by working really hard um, to like what's really important, what our purpose is. Uh, I That's fresh for me. It's, um, I love it. I love that perspective. That's probably one I'd recommend because it's there. It's the ruthless elimination of hurry. Yep. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Okay. Um, I think, you know, like you said, your time at obviously Lakeland was so crucial to how you were shaped. And you were the first person in my coaching career when we first met. One of the first few times we talked, you know, I asked, I had asked you, you know, when did you know you were ready to be a head coach at the college level? <laughs> And you kind of said, you never, you're never ready until you're in the seat. And that always kind of stuck with me, right? But elaborate on that. And if you could touch on kind of how you got to be in your seat at Loris and, and why that's a statement that's so true for you. Yeah. So um, my second year at Lakeland, um, April retired uh, from coaching. She's still teaching there and she's athletic director and doing well, um, but she stepped away from coaching and everybody on her staff got a job. Um, and I ended up at Loris as an assistant coach in July. And then in September, um, our head coach, Shauna Green, who's doing pretty well at Dayton right now, um, left uh, for Providence. Um, and we're, you know, three weeks away from starting our season. So there's not really time to hire anybody and I remember vividly like the conversation that happened um they wanted to you know give me the interim job and that night I drove to April's house in Sheboygan saying what the heck is going on um I don't know what the heck I'm doing <laughs> um and we just talked talked it out kind of uh, so I jumped in I, I I still tell this the the players from that team this to the day like I wish I would have them now because I just you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know so much and I, I'm still learning it. Um, but 
they kind of got a raw deal because I was so green with anything big picture wise. Um, we started out really well. We went 10 and 0, and then they lifted the interim tag uh, in December, probably that year. And then we lost like five games in a row. Um, <laughs> did, they apply, was, did they apply the interim <laughs> tag back? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it was a it was a fun journey with that crew for sure. Interesting, and there's a lot of stories that come out of that. And nobody writes a book about that, right? Everybody writes a book about 1,000 wins, but that first that first year is just a merry-go-round of crazy. And um, yeah, you, you just it's hard to prepare what what you're going to see until you sit in it, just because there's so many things that I didn't see that April did, or had to make decisions on so many things you have to make decisions about what's a, what's a what's a big picture example that you kind of missed during year one that if you look back you could have done it better um just investing in our team more uh i invested on the court a ton and i've always i mean my dad taught me there was a great example of like how hard you work and all that stuff. So that's always been the nature of mine, but like investing in the people, I was very, very, um, probably way too technical that first year and less relational. Mm. Um, not probably no question about it. So that kind of started it all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. And then if, you know, you could obviously hindsight's 2020, 20, but I don't think 13 years, all time winningest guy there, you probably don't change it, right? You don't change necessarily the growth that needed to take place in the way that it took place, right? Well, I um, I was forced to learn it, right, in order yeah. to survive, probably, and adapt. I to change it, I wish I would have done it earlier and understood that like the payoff is worth it. Um, but my twenty-five-year-old mind at the time was, you know, you got to put the ball in the hole and guard somebody on defense and it doesn't matter you know that's what matters and it's that's not really what matters so I, I wish I would have could change a little bit of it for sure um and how I handled players early on in my career I mean it wasn't fireable or anything like that but um right. I just didn't invest as as much as I should have was there a I mean other than time and experience was there is there one specific moment that you could reflect on you're like you know when you said that 9-10 recruiting which eventually led to that 13-14 championship even before that was there one trigger that you're like man I gotta I gotta change my focus to the lead and develop people not lead and develop basketball players yeah it was I mean it was a combination of a couple things we had um in that recruiting class we had what was our first All-American um, since I've been here, uh, Katie Langmeyer, and then uh, alongside of her was just a tremendous teammate and a leader in Lauren Byrne, and they've taught me a ton about that part um, because they invested in me mm -hmm. and our staff a ton more than I had ever known or done. Um, so it was it was kind of reciprocal in that way. Like they taught me a ton about it, and our relationship was awesome and you just over the course of time saw the fruits of that um and katie had a much better like 
statistical basketball career. She was an All-American and one of the best players easily that I've ever coached. Um, but Lauren had it a little bit harder and played JV for us for a couple of years and didn't see real heavy minutes until her senior year, um, but still invested in that process of relationships with, with me and our assistants. And um, she taught me a lot. They taught me a lot about it. So I think I learned more from them than like, oh, yeah, the light went on. Mm. Um, moments, that kind of thing. And then were those two kids you guys, you had recruited or inherited? <laughs> no, they were part of that first um, people class. Um, so then so they time... Yeah, third class in. Okay, wow. Nice. Well, that's kind of yeah. cool too. It wasn't necessarily something that, you know, you were still a part of recruiting them and you kind of brought them in. So it's you still had a, without knowing that it was going to happen that way, you're responsible for, you know, how that worked, um, how it worked out. Mm -hmm. how, how hard has it been in, uh, sorry, like you said, you made one reference, like people write about the thousand wins, but you don't see a lot of books on year one. How, how has it been trying to sustain over the course of 13 years? You know, like I'm entering my 10th year as a college coach, you've been a head coach now for more than that. So how has it been trying to maintain and sustain such a high level of both performance and development for your student athletes over the course of that duration of time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I don't think it's like, you hear this all the time too, like, you don't, it doesn't really feel like work and you got to love your job and <clears throat> all that sort of stuff. And that's, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, it's, I don't approach it as like, here's the next challenge. I think um, I told our team today, like, even with the success we've had, the price is always going to increase. Um, like nobody cares what you did before uh, or nobody cares what last year was like at some point that'll turn. Um, and like it's you, it, more is required. So like more is required on our end to to climb that ladder. And until we're until we've arrived, like I don't know if you'll ever arrive at that point, but until we're winning national championships every year, and I don't, you know, I don't even know if that's the measure of like sustaining greatness. Right. Um, I like right. to think it's just a reward for for doing it, but but. Um, you know, we still haven't arrived. I think we have a lot of room to grow um, and get better. And so it's just the chase, right? And that's part of being competitive. Um, but also, like, understanding what you're chasing, too. Is it all about wins? I, that helps, and that's fun. And, you know, uh, but I don't, I don't think it is. Um, and that shift of mindset early on, well, not early on, four or five years in, um, and it's only grown since then has really helped develop our win loss record more than more than anything, probably. Right. Understanding I don't know how if that makes any sense. <laughs> I got you. I mean, I understand what you're saying in terms of like okay. how the way you go about your business day to day and year to year, and how it becomes the winning or the records become a byproduct of the way you efficiently go about it. Right. I think I've you know, you've had yeah, a big influence I, on it. You said that much better than I did. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you've had a big influence on that with me, and we've talked about that. I was lucky to meet you at 
22, right? So like I've heard some of the same stuff from you. Um, I think one of the unique things for me that I, that I took from you and I kind of want to jump back to it is, you know, you're really, one of my high school coaches, he was, he would always tell me there's so much power in handwritten notes and handwritten letters. And in my, in our, in his office, in my high school, he had a, a handwritten note from Bobby Knight and he had a handwritten letter and a picture from coach K at Duke. And so that always stuck with me. And then I become fast forward now, years later, I become a college coach. And then I learned from you, like I visit you up at Loris and we talk about some of your recruiting methods and, and you as a head coach, you're still handwriting letters and notes like weekly to your kids that you're recruiting. And that's kind of something that has stuck with me. Um, I kind of want to touch on that. What is, what is your take on the, the power of the handwritten note um, and how you utilize that in recruiting and, and relationship building? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, that's a buzz thing, right? Yeah. Um, and that's his MO from being a manager at junior college was right. just hand. I don't do it near to the extent that he does. Um, but that's where, you know, and, and you said it, like people have that on the walls and I'm not Coach K and nobody's hanging my stuff up, but um, I, got is, something, I got something from you up. Yeah, yeah, Coach <laughs> K, but it's, it's up in my office. <laughs> Uh, there is power to it for sure. Uh, and probably because it's not as common. Um, so we do, a, yeah, I do a ton of it. Um, and even like thank you cards or birthday cards. And I know I'm, you send a Christmas card every year and um, like that sort of stuff goes a long way. And uh, in remembering that we, I remember every, every one of my players anniversary dates for their commitments. Um, and that's, that's awesome. not to like tell my, but it's just something that's really important to me um, in recognizing like those little moments. Um, and some of the handwritten stuff is about that. Some of it's just motivational. And uh, when you, when you uh, brought me in to speak a couple years ago at NIU with uh, H. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I haven't talked to the guy much. I interact in social media once in a while with them, but uh, his concept of juice is life changing. Um, and if anybody hasn't heard of it, uh, I, I am amazed at how much it's been beneficial for me and us. Um, because after talking to him that weekend, I took it and ran with it and have now compiled probably four years of juice. Um, nice. And it's been awesome for us, for me personally, professionally. And I think it's helped our team's mindset a lot too. Right, right. No, oh, I love it. Oh man, that's good. He's gonna he's gonna love the shout out too. You know, he'll 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 appreciate that. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I, I think like you said, it's kind of uncommon. It's just how different people connect. I think I don't know how how big has that been? You you mentioned this here. I kind of want to go to that. How big has that been for you in terms of still cultivating your X's and O's mind? You still find yourself going down the rabbit hole of YouTube and DVDs and videos of X's and O's and basketball stuff, you know, in the middle of the night when your kids go to bed or did you still do the, did you do a lot of virtual clinics during this quarantine time? Like what, what is your learning method now? Again, kind of tied into maintaining that 13 year product and attacking the 14th year and the 15th year. How are you still trying to grow on the basketball court? Yeah. And this is where, um, the origin of this started because we changed, you know, we said, how can we learn more basketball wise? 
uh, or I was kind of questioning myself, like, how can I stay fresh in all this? I was like, let's just change what we do every year so we stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of an accident. Um, really? In terms of, like, playing around and stuff. But it does force you to stay fresh on what's what's out there, what are the people doing really, really well that might fit our team. Um, so knowing that we're going to have a brand new offense and a brand new defense next year, like it forces you, it forces me to really look at different things uh, instead of saying we're locked into what we do and this is how we do it, um, X's and O's. So that's been really good for growth for sure. Hmm. Uh, and just finding out what else is out there. And it's so, I mean, all that stuff is so accessible. Right, for sure. How How many seasons have you been like, Okay, we're gonna try this new. How many years have you been doing it? Where it's new every year. So you've been coach for thirteen years. Are you telling me thirteen different years you've had thirteen different defenses? Now I've watched you a ton. You helped me implement different things. You know, from the one three one when we were at Truman and things like that. And then obviously I won't give it away, but you know your lettered play calling system. You know we talked about that a ton on off on the offensive end. What is it? Give me, give me the numbers here. Thirteen years as head coach, thirteen brand new offenses. What's what's the what's the math on this? No, we've had. Uh, it's probably been six or seven years now where we changed everything. Um, wow. Every year, and yeah, and to be fair, not everything gets changed, right? If right. If, uh, if the pack has treated us really well, or or we feel like we have a good pack team, maybe we skip a year on that so it's it's not like we have 13 defenses in our pocket it's like hey this is a really good pack team or this is a really good buzz team or this is a really good one three one team or that sort of thing and the same approach offensively um although that's been a little bit more diverse probably um so it's only yeah it's probably been six or seven years since we did that started that nice i like it i like it so then do you ever feel like you and i we're both great friends with john fawful at cardinal stretch you ever yeah. feel like you fall in love with too many things? That's always his thing. He's like, I got to stop going to clinics. I want to install every play <laughs> that I just saw. Like, do you ever feel like you're like, well, I have a good pack team that also happens to be a good change it up and maybe run a couple buzz possessions team. Do you ever feel like you're falling in love with too many concepts and you want to do it all? Um, not really, uh, only because – like the question you got to keep, we keep coming back to is it like, is it right for our team? Um, so I think we've done probably less in the approach we've taken is less is more offensively. So we've um, like this year we had, we had one main offense and that was it. And, and then some specials alongside. So we didn't have four offenses that we ran or anything like that. Um, and then that has allowed us to do a little bit more experimentation defensively. Um, Hmm. So this year we were run and jump all the time. And then we played more buzz than ever before and fell back in the pack at some points. Um, But that has allowed us to do three things defensively pretty well, especially as we've matured and as the year went on. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, I, yeah, if it's right for us, that's the question we always come back to um, because we have a library of stuff that I like. It's just maybe not for us. All right. Okay. I like it. Okay. A couple more yeah. things I want to get to here. I know you got another, you got other responsibilities coming up, but um, how do you do captains? 
do you do do you do captains on your team? How do you select captains? You know, I'm curious. Has that changed? That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, everything's always changing with us, Adam. So, <laughs> um, we were pretty standard in the way we did things up until this year, um, and it only. I don't think it was a broke system and one would argue that our culture has never been better. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we can better. Um, so I listened to a podcast, it started with a podcast by JP Nervin, um, about how he does his captain's structure. It's called uh, leaders captain's council. I think he calls it, um, okay. it was really called? diversifies captain's council. That was at the pod. That's the name of the podcast. Uh, coaching and cultures of the podcast okay say that again you kind of broke up there yeah the podcast is coaching culture coaching culture okay got it yeah. by nate sanderson and jp nervin um which really is uh i wanted more hands on deck and more diversified leadership and um i saw a quote i don't know who did it so i can't fully give her credit but um you know our best players the last couple of years have been our captains and which hasn't been a bad thing, but I want to let them play and worry less about leadership um, and let them be really good players. Uh, not that they're not going to have a role in leadership, but we've now we have 10 captains um, all throughout every class um, that are each in charge of small subgroups. Um, so each of our captains is called the unit leader, basically that is in charge of three people. And if any of those people have an issue or want to talk, like they have a comfort level in their small groups, um, sort of like a religious small group setting, right? Like mm -hmm. there's in, in small there. So we try to keep it small. Um, and this is our first year with it. So we'll have some wrinkles and it won't be perfect, but we're changing what we've always done to this sort of thing. Nice. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, I think, you know, I think that's a good place to stop right there. I think we touched a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, again, want to appreciate your time. I think I'm always learning from you, even if we don't catch up as you know as often with with kids and then the busyness of the season. But again, you've been a great influence on me, and I've always uh, admired what you do over there and taking ideas from you. And happy, I, I feel terrible for how the season ended for you guys. You know, with you practicing to play in your next national tournament game, but. I have no doubt that uh, you guys will still bring the heat from Dubuque, Iowa, you know, so I'm happy for you. But again, thanks for your time, Jay. Thank you. Adam. I appreciate you and everything you do here and but also our friendship as well. So thank you. Thanks.